Hello and welcome to We Ate All the Pies. Game week three of Premier League action is done and dusted. Uh, a lot of drama, not as many goals, um, but certainly a lot to talk about this week. Uh, you will notice that we are a two-person team again this week. Caleb uh, actually traveled to Texas uh, to be with his family, and so he's been driving all day, so we didn't want to make him uh, have to get on and, and, and chat about stuff. But you will notice that we are granted with the presence, once again, of Newcastle fan and Sherman, Texas resident, Cousin Jordan. Hello, Jordan. Welcome back. Hello, Adam. How did you enjoy so, your trip uh, to uh, to Newcastle? <laughs> So, yes, apparently the rumor was on the pod that I went over to slap Steve Bruce in the face. Well, it was much more substantiative than that. I am proud to announce on the podcast as, an ex- uh, as a podcast exclusive that I am the new manager of Newcastle United. <laughs> yes, in, oh, proper Jordy tra- in proper Jordy tradition, I challenged Steve Bruce to a fifth fight after we got very drunk. I won... So by right, I am the new manager of Newcastle United. It hasn't been announced yet because obviously there's still some like legal paperwork that needs to be finalized. But I will be taking over very soon. Yeah, it's Brexit's fault. They added a lot of red tape. And I am looking for a couple coaches. So Adam, <laughs> you want to come across the pond? Listen, no offense, I'm not touching that club with the ten foot pole. Um. But actually, so so Jordan uh, was was off during the week, um, securing his spot as Newcastle manager in apparently some sort of bizarre trial by combat. Um, but uh, he came back. He did come back. We were both in Texas this weekend, and so we were able to watch a few of the games together. That was nice. It was very nice. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we came down. We came down from Oklahoma. We're back now, which is why we we sound so different. Um, but it was nice. Went out to the pub, enjoyed a little bit. Had a had a little house party at my dad's uh, with some family, uh, and that was that was fun for reasons that we won't state on the pod because I, I'm not comfortable talking about my family here yet. But it was just a good weekend. It was very nice. Also, that beer that you had, you, Jordan's already on the Oktoberfest, but it was very good. Uh, yeah, we're about to be into September, so uh, the Marzen from all your local breweries are back in stock on the shelves. And so I picked up one from a uh, unnamed place in Houston. You can, name uh, them and it was very want. delicious. You can name them if you want, unless you're, you are somewhat ashamed as, as a, as a fervent Dallas, uh, supporter, if you will, Dallasite, unless you're ashamed to, to admit that you do like something from Houston. At which, at which point exactly. you can, Okay. <laughs> that's, that's exactly it. I'm ashamed to admit I like something from Houston. Uh, by the way, Dallas, uh, FC Dallas and Austin play, play tonight at 7. So that might be one to, uh, to catch. It's on ESPN+. Plus. Um, but before all that happens, we had, like I said, uh, just a phenomenal week uh, in the Premier League. And we will talk about the championship later, despite the fact that our championship correspondent, Caleb, is not here. Um, but it, it just won't be with the same fervor and, 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 and vigor that he brings to it. Um, but let's start with the marquee matchup of the weekend. Absolutely no doubt went into, went into it as the game of the weekend and came out, I still think, as the game of the weekend. Liverpool won. Chelsea won. Uh, it ends in a draw, thankfully for Chelsea, who actually finished the match with 10 men. 
after a back-and-forth opening few minutes, Kai Havertz turns in Reese James's corner kick with a looping header up and over Allison. It was one of those that he kind of like just got his head on it and hoped for the best, and the best did happen. Uh, that uh, went in early in the, in the first half. Uh, the 22nd minute, I think, is actually when that went in. Uh, a few minutes before halftime, though, Diego Hota comes on for Roberto Firmino. I'm not sure if that was an injury substitution or not, but whatever the impact Liverpool was looking for, it must have worked. A mad scramble in the box uh, ensued on a ball uh, uh, into the inside there, and uh, Mane ended up with a shot, deflects off of Reese James on the line. He clears it, but VAR, of course it did, comes in. Referee Anthony Taylor determines he, that James handled the ball when he was stopping that Mane shot. He had no choice, at least in his mind, that he had to send off the Chelsea right back, and most all it is passed a penalty to even it up. Liverpool tried their best to find the winner, but some brave Chelsea defending, and a few key stops from Edward Mendy meant the spoils were shared at Anfield. Um, we have to talk first about the red card, Jordan. We were both there. We both saw it, both watched it in the pub. So this is a tough one, I will admit. At the time, I was like, there's no way that's a handball. That's dumb. However, I do understand where people are coming from here. What did you make of that incident, and what was your, your initial reaction? I mean, what was it fair to have Reese James sent off you know, was it fair for that to be a penalty? How do you manage that situation as a referee with the benefit of hindsight? So at the time, uh, it was an incredible, like, goal mouth scramble. And, you know, in the live, in the live action, it looked like, you know, he made a great goal line uh, clearance. But you could tell from, like, the Liverpool players gesturing like they always do uh, that there was a handball. So when VAR went to look at it, and when they showed the replays on the live television broadcast, it was clearly a handball. But where he was on the goal line, where Mane hit the shot from, which was probably like a yard and a half out, he was less than six feet away from the goal. The, the away from the goal, um, Reese James could not have positioned himself any better to try to block the shot. It just unfortunately bounced off his right thigh, traveled up his arm and then down or traveled up one arm and then down the other. So I understand giving the penalty, but the straight red was ridiculous. And hopefully the FA uh, does not uphold the, the one match ban because the red card implies that it was an intentional handling of the ball to to deny a goal, which it clearly wasn't. It clearly wasn't intentional. And I do think the fact that it hits his leg first, I think a lot of what a lot of people say is, well, of course it's a handball because, you know, he sort of moves his arm. But if you look at it, he doesn't move his arm until the ball strikes it. And I don't think he's moving it in the direction to, you know, get the ball. I mean, it, it's really tough because, I don't know. On the one hand, I, I do think that any time an arm is involved, you know, it, in that situation where a player's on the line and he's stopping a, a ball from going in, usually you have to give a penalty. I mean, I, I, I think that. And But you're right. I mean, there, there clearly was no intent. And I hate red cards. I, I do. Um, especially in games like this. I mean, I think it just completely... I think it kind of ruins the game because it forced Chelsea to to retreat back more. 
They had to defend more. I do think they had a few chances in the second half as they were kind of inching forward, but it was obviously just completely dominated by Liverpool after that after that point. Um, but I mean, it, it would have it could have been so different um, for Liverpool. But I think Liverpool fans would argue, well, if if that doesn't happen, it's a goal and it's and it's one one anyways. So I don't know. I. I I, I've, I, I saw a lot of stuff on social media about people saying, well, it's, if it's a handball, then it's, it's automatically a red card. I'm not entirely sure if that's correct. However, I did see Liverpool fans say, I, I think it was a penalty. I'm upset that it was a red card, and I do think that it ruined the game. So I think there's a little bit of hesitancy. And Jurgen Klopp afterwards said that he thought you know, it was disappointing that that had to happen for a red I mean, he didn't come out and say he shouldn't have got a red, but he did say, yeah, that, that kind of sucked, and I felt bad for him because... I don't think that necessarily in that situation it should, that should have been uh, should have been the case. But before that point, Jordan, I mean, what was what, you know what was your? It seemed like a, a pretty good battle. It was back and forth. I think we had some competing styles going on. We also made the mention it was two German managers, so it was sort of like watching uh, the battle of the Bond villains up at Anfield. But um, it was it was good. It was a good game up until the red card. Um. Yes, it was. It was a great game. Um, there was a lot of physicality that was uh, not, you know, not booked. So it was a very contentious game going into that red card. So you might, you you know, you might look at it as the red card was trying to put a a damper on the um, on the tensions between both teams up to that point. Who knows? Um, but, uh, I loved the Lukaku, uh, Virgil van Dyke, uh, uh, matchup. Uh, those two big boys were clearly up for it. Um, early in the game too, Lukaku had a couple opportunities where, uh, it was those short runs in the box just to get in front of the defender and then just try to put his massive forehead on, uh, uh, on the ball. Uh, and that those were kind of effective. Um, what what was concerning for Liverpool, and you brought this up, their midfield is underperforming. Um, whether it be Oxley Chamberlain, who's currently you know riding the bench as a sub right now. Um, Henderson, who uh, uh, actually almost caused another fight after the penalty when uh, he ran towards the goal to scoop the ball up, up really and stupid. Edward Mendy really kicked, kicked it away. It was really stupid yeah. since he gave about he gave up like a foot of height on uh, to Edward uh, Edward Mendy. Um, but it's apparent to me that Liverpool is, since they let uh, Jorginho Wijnaldum go on a free to PSG, they are lacking uh, a bit of creati- uh, uh, creativity and technical ability from the midfield. Yeah, Harvey, so this is just kind of interesting. So Harvey Elliott um, started his second straight game in the Liverpool midfield. And, and here's, so obviously Liverpool would play with a 4-4-3, or 4-3-3, excuse me. Um, and here's what their midfields look like in the first three Premier League games. So, the first time out against Norwich, it was uh, Keta Milner, who was captain of the side, and Oxlade-Chamberlain. Then against Burnley, it was Keta 
Henderson and Elliott, with Henderson as the captain and sort of playing maybe more of a defensive midfield role. And then this time around, it was Henderson, Elliott, and Fabinho, and Fabinho, of course, playing the defensive midfield. So I don't know if they rotated it due to fitness reasons or, or what, or, or kind of what he was looking for, but the one thing that I see in all of those midfields, as you pointed out, is there's just a lack of creative influence. Um, there's no Tiago, and I don't know if that's because of the Euros or, or what, but so so no no Tiago in any of those starting midfields. You know, Henderson, I get it, he's the captain, he's a source of, of inspiration and, and you know, probably for that side and certainly for the fans. But he's not the most creative of the midfielders. He's a hard worker, um, puts in some good tackles and picks out some good passes, but he's just not he's not the guy who's gonna run in and, and pick out somebody, you know, at the top of the eighteen. Um, and, and you mentioned Har- uh, Henderson and his input, Harvey Elliott actually had a couple of chances, I thought to, to score for Liverpool. I, I, I think it was before Chelsea's opener and he missed them. And I, I do, I remember, I, I thought Wijnaldum would have, would have scored those, I think, or at least would have scored one of them and Liverpool would be ahead now. So as deadline day looms, we'll talk more about deadline day in a minute, but as it looms, I wonder if Liverpool will go in for, or, or look to sign another creative midfielder because I just don't see that from them. And I think that could hurt them down, down the line personally, but I don't know. Have you heard, I don't, I haven't heard of any of them being linked with anybody. I have not seen them linked. Yeah. I've not seen them linked with anybody. Um, I will say, yeah. Uh, where's Tiago? Um, you know, you, you brought, bought him from, for, from Bayern Munich for 35 million pounds. Yeah. Um, uh, he clearly has the technical ability uh, to, you know, uh, play the ball forward and, you know, make those sharp passes. Now, I don't think his style of passing fits into the way Liverpool plays. I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, he's definitely more of, uh, you know, a, a, a better short passer than he is, you know, putting the ball over the top or, you know, through the channel on the floor. Um, maybe... Klopp looks at bringing, uh, you know, Alexander Arnold up into the midfield. It is it is evident over the first couple of games that he is clearly their best passer. Yeah, and maybe it is time to move him for, uh, further forward, where you can get more out of those passes. Uh, you know, evident. You know, uh, with players in the past that have done that, like Philip Lom or uh, Joshua Kimmich, uh, uh, over both from. From Bayern, actually, um, I was also disappointed uh, in that match that uh, Simikas did not get a third start. I thought he handled yeah. handled himself very well in the first two matches, and I would like to see him uh, down on that left side against Reese James specifically, uh, because I think he's a better defender at this point than Andy Robertson. Yeah, I agree. Robertson uh, got that start, and so it was kind of interesting. Simikas did come on in off the bench with about four minutes left, which I didn't really see the point in. But, but yeah, um, let's talk about uh, just a quick note on Chelsea. You know, I, I think if Reese James isn't sent off, they could go on to win it. I mean, Reese James is the one who whose corner kick went in off of uh, Havertz's head. So I mean, he was playing really well, and like you said, I think midfield wise, I think with Conte and Jorginho, they they kind of had a they. The Chelsea midfield just looks a little bit better um, than 
you know, with than than Liverpool's. And I just, I think eventually they would have dominated. Didn't see a whole lot out of Lukaku, but I don't know if that's quite fair considering uh, the circumstances. But it's a good result for Chelsea considering the circumstances. I think. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, lose going down a man in the 48th minute, uh, the third minute of uh, added time at the uh, at the first half was uh, very harsh. And then, uh, you know, spending the next half in basically, you know, your own half with Lukaku, with Lukaku on the other side, on your side of the of the, the halfway line, they held him. They held up pretty well. And uh, Edward Mindy showed out. He made a couple really good saves towards the end, but you know, in the in the second half that uh, saved the draw. Yeah, big big um, match by. By Mindy, um, I thought he deserved to have the man as the match award. He, he made some really good stops. So, um, so that was the big game of the weekend. Um, but perhaps the most talked about result of the weekend, I would argue, was Manchester City five, Arsenal nil. This was the early game on Saturday, and the miserable start to the season for Arsenal just complete. This was the cherry on top for their Sunday of misery. It was an absolute thumping by born again champions. Manchester City at the Etihad. Um, it was a headed goal by Ilkay Gundogan past a flailing Rob Holding in the seventh minute. That was just the start for Antora's double City's lead a little bit later. Granite Xhaka, speaking of being sent off, he got sent off for a tackle that it didn't look great. Um, I don't know. I mean, it was... I would say it was a little more than 50-50 as to whether he should have been sent off. I do think it was the right decision because I think it was more out of frustration than anything that he made that tackle. Um, but it certainly didn't help Arsenal. Um, it was soon followed by City's third goal through Gabriel Jesus. Rodri made it four in the 53rd minute for Antorres. Finished his fine afternoon with City's fifth goal. Um, he also assisted on uh, the Rodri goal. City, there's not much more you can say about this. City just looked dominant. Arsenal just completely shattered by this. And... I wrote down this question, what does Mikel Arteta do now? I don't know what the answer to that question is. I, 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 it, they just look so lost. City, they carved through the Arsenal midfield. And, of course, after Xhaka was sent off, it was pretty easy. But even before then, they were just cutting them up. <laughs> no pun intended here, really. But they were cutting them up like Swiss cheese. Um, I mean, it was, it was horrendous. And they just didn't look inspired. And I, it almost made me wonder whether Arteta has already lost this dressing room. Um, if Arsenal fan TV had their way, he'd be out right now. Yeah. Um, it's funny, you know, we talked about in the first two weeks, how Manchester city looked, um, kind of, you know, lacking in the tooth, so to speak in the, uh, in the, in the goal box against a competent defensive team like Tottenham, but against these relegation sides, um, you know, Norwich and then Arsenal, <laughs> they just pour on the goals, uh, 4-0, then 5-0. Um, it was a bad match for Arsenal all around. Uh, Kiernan Tierney looked out of place as a left wing back. Um, there was multiple times where uh, he got it, you know, he got his head turned around. And like we've been talking about all season, just, you know, not being able to uh, defend that, that sneaking that sneaking fullback 
around the back end, which opens up everything in the middle again. Um, I just, <clears throat> I just wonder if it's going to do uh, emotionally to players like uh, Saka and then your, uh, your recently signed midfielder from uh, Real Madrid, Odegaard, uh, yeah. in terms of, you know, confidence. Yeah, I, I mean, that's the thing at this point is it's, you know, and we talked about it. The opening loss to Brentford, we all kind of felt like that was a possibility considering the circumstances. Um, and then, you know, the results last week um, against Chelsea, I mean, it, it, it wasn't a great performance, but again, it's Chelsea. You know, they had their new signing Lukaku. And so this was a chance, I think, for, for Arsenal to stand up and say, we're not going to be like that. This is not going to be how that is. And before I could say, well, obviously, formation-wise, Arsenal wasn't very well set up. They didn't look very good. They weren't lined up right. This time, I just they just didn't look like they tried. I mean, did they even train on, on defensive formations and defensive setups during the middle of the week? I don't know. On that first goal, Rob Holding... He was in no man's land. He, fl- he looks like a fish jumping up, trying to head the ball away at the near post, and he completely misses. And I just don't like uh, <laughs> Arsenal defenders aren't supposed to do that. They're not supposed to play like that. This isn't that kind of club. They're not supposed to look like a a mid level championship team against the top teams of the Premier League. They're supposed to put up a fight, and they just didn't. And I, I will tell you this right now. Um, and again, full credit to City, um, you know, and, and what they did, they were effective, especially after Arsenal went down to 10 men, they're doing what champions are supposed to do. However, like you mentioned, I mean, it's almost like they're playing against a, a relegation side at this point, because that's how bad Arsenal look. And they've got, they've got two matches coming up that could, well, they've really got three matches coming up, but they've got two that could really just kind of serve to help them to turn around this season. Um, uh, I, I suppose you would call them relegation six-pointers. They play Norwich on the 11th of September, and then they play Burnley the next weekend. They go to Turf Moor, and then they have the London Derby. And if they don't win any of those matches, even a draw in the Norwich or the Burnley game, if they don't win any of those, and they go six unbeaten to start the season in the fashion that they have gone, I don't know that Arteta survives, and I don't know who else you bring. Well, actually, I do know who you bring in. Is the fan the, the what what fans are clamoring for, which is Antonio Conte, who's sitting out there, you know, essentially saying, you know, essentially like, uh, I mean, he's, he's he'd be the prize get. I think you'd make the fans happy, but I don't know if Arteta survives if they don't turn something around in these next three games. And um, I'll be honest with you too, Adam. You're right. The next three, uh, especially the next two, they should they should get results from those next two matches. But with Norwich and with Burnley, um, especially Burnley in uh, since the Liverpool match, they're not going to sit back and let Arsenal dictate the terms of uh, dictate terms of play. They're going to be in for a fight, and it's looking like the Arsenal team, as it's currently structured, does not have it. Um, and if I'm Antonio Conte and there is a team that loses their first six on the bounce, are floundering 
um, at the bottom of the table, uh, looking, you know, with with no direction. Is that what I'm looking for? I don't even know if he'd want it. I mean, I, I mean, he managed. He's managed Chelsea. He's won a title with Juventus. Um, he's won a title with Chelsea. He's a, yeah, he's won a title <laughs> yeah. with Chelsea. Exactly. He's. I mean, he's a big time, big name manager. That and that does just not sound uh, interesting to me. Honestly, the manager they need, because he could keep a club up, is Big Sam. Wow. Arsenal for Big Sam should be the play if Arteta goes because he can stabilize a club that clearly is in free fall right now. I want to talk. We we should we should we we should take a deep dive into Arsenal next week because we won't have a whole lot to talk about because it's an international break. But I would love to to sort of look at that downfall and how they got to where they are because I think it's quite remarkable, especially considering it wasn't super, it wasn't too long ago. I mean, it was just within the last decade that. They were getting third and fourth place, challenging, uh, you know, the titles, at least challenging the title contenders. Sometimes being a, a title contender uh, under Wenger, and just the the slow deterioration we have seen um, that has certainly sped up in these last few seasons. So, um, so that's Arsenal. That was a bit miserable. Let's talk about something a little bit more interesting. Um, and we didn't get to talk about them last week because uh, they played on a Monday and it was disappointing. So we're going to talk about them this week. West Ham 2, Crystal Palace 2. Uh, a goalless first half was broken wide open by a, a wonderful, oh, God, it was just absolute chef's kiss. Wonderful pass and move combo between the, the West Ham man of the moment, Mike Mikel Antonio, and Pablo Fernals. It was the latter who rolled the shot past Guaita for the opener in the 35th minute. Um... I mentioned him last week on the pod, Connor Gallagher. He's at Crystal Palace. He's on loan for Chelsea. He is going to be huge for Crystal Palace this this season. He scored the equalizer after the Hammers uh, struggled to clear their lines. It wouldn't be the last time that they struggled to do that. Um, but it all started to look fine 10 minutes later in the 68th minute when Antonio intervened in Joaquim Anderson's attempt, attempted clearance from a high ball forward from Aaron Cresswell. West Ham, the West Ham frontman put his own header blazing into the near post. Uh, you know what? Let me describe that better. Basically, the high ball goes forward. Anderson tries to head it out. It goes off of Antonio's head. It bounces once, and the next contact on that ball is Antonio's boot, sending it uh, into the bottom corner um, to make it 2-1. Uh, Gallagher strikes again, though, two minutes later, after more suspect West Ham defending. Um, so it's a good thing that the same day that this result came out, uh, Kurt Zuma, the center back from Chelsea, he's going to come in for just under 30 million pounds. Um, and that, like I said, that was made official. Um, so, I mean, they've got some reinforcements coming, which is good. And it was hard to feel too bad about this match. It was just disappointing on those two goals that that's kind of how uh, that, that sort of prevented West Ham from winning. I think in these first three games, the attack has looked fantastic. Fernals is looking great. Ben Rama is looking great. Bowen is looking great. Um, and, you know, Declan Rice is doing fantastic. Antonio is now the the West Ham uh, all-time leading goal scorer in the Premier League era, and I think his tally now is 51. Um, he passed that 
tally with two goals. Uh, he, he surpassed that record uh, with two goals against Leicester City last Monday in a 4-1 win, um, which was just a, a, a great... I mean, the stadium was rocking. The fans were in full voice. It was a phenomenal win against a really, really good team. Um, so, huge result for West Ham. And then they kind of come out and just, you know, I don't want to say shit the bed, but they, they didn't do great against Crystal Palace. Um, and so... I think defensive reinforcements are very much welcome and we'll see what they do over these next few days um, in the transfer window. But I mean, Jordan, is this, I mean, is this something that I should expect as a fan of, of this level of team coming down here? And, and I mean, there, I, it, does this happen a lot? <laughs> I feel like it happens uh, a lot. <laughs> clearly evident from my own result over the weekend. <laughs> that's yes, next. Yes, that's next. Um, what I was going to say, though, and this was kind of troubling in because uh, I because I did not catch the match fully. Mm-hmm. I had to listen to it on uh, Talk Sport. Uh, there was a horrible uh, uh, joke made during the during the commentary because um, uh, they they brought up a, a, a quick Brentford game, uh, but when West Ham. Uh, lost possession. They were they're not a pressing team, and it really benefited Crystal Palace from not having uh, Fornals, uh, Ben Rama, and Bowen pressing when they got the ball back. Because uh, Crystal Palace, it looked like they set up with a uh, uh, former West Ham player uh, Koyate as kind of like a holding a, a defensive holding midfielder in front of his center back. So he was able to help out with uh, with the, uh, the 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 midfield three of uh, of West Ham. But going back to my point, if West Ham can be more aggressive against teams, especially against teams like Crystal Palace, I feel like they have the momentum and some technical ability to force the match in their favor, and. Uh, this is this is a David Moyes thing, so it's not going to be like it's not going to uh, happen likely. Um, but from a West Ham perspe- West Ham fans' perspective, um, I would want my team to be more aggressive. I think defensively, yes, because there were a few times when Palace would. I mean, th- there were a couple. Actually, I think both Palace goals came from this, but it just seemed like they. It just seemed like Dawson and, and Ogbonna and that whole back line had trouble clearing the ball and getting it out and, you know, really taking charge in that moment. And we've I think they have in previous matches, but, I mean, you get to think, you know, it, these first three matches, and, look, I'm more than happy with seven points. I mean, we were top of the table for, for the, the past week thanks to that win against, against Leicester City. It was a wonderful feeling. However, we have not had a shutout yet. And that speaks to some defensive issues. You know, Dawson's 31. Ogbonna is 33, 34. He's up there. Um, Issa Diop is in his mid-20s, but he hasn't always had the best... You know, he didn't have the best season last time around. I don't know how much Moyes trusts him at the moment. Um, it's going to be good to have him when the Europa League hits. Um, and by the way, the, the Europa League draw was this past week, and West Ham have Dinamo Zagreb, Rapid Vienna, and Genk. So not, not the 
most difficult teams to face, but certainly some difficult road trips, and that's going to start to take a toll on some some players. So, I mean, we've got two days left. We've got Kurt Zuma. We really need a striker. Um, and, yeah, maybe another player just to kind of, as you said, add that sort of aggressive element because I think we've had – you know, we, it's it's been a good opening few games. We've, had, we've shown some flair. It's been exciting. But that, that aggression, I would agree, is kind of lacking, especially in, in the defensive department. Um, speaking of aggression, all right, now I'll let you in on, on a little uh, outside pod talk. So Jordan was asking me about um, how much he can rant about Newcastle, and I gave him five to ten minutes. Um, and I hope so hopefully he's been able to condense that down. Um, but just do be prepared because, as I said... This is probably going to be quite an aggressive segment of this podcast. Newcastle 2, Southampton 2. Um, this was an important result for Newcastle. You're at home. You're against a team who's kind of struggling a little bit. Um, and it started out looking great. Jacob Murphy's backdoor run results in a great ball across the box that's put away by Callum Wilson. That's his second goal of the season. Um, Mohamed el who... Actually, he's been at Southampton for longer than I thought. I think he's been with them for a few seasons. Um, he actually scored a hat-trick against Newport County in the League Cup last week, but he scored his fourth goal in two games for Southampton to level things up in the 74th minute. And then it looked like it was all over. Uh, Joel Linton slides the ball over to Almiron. His shot gets blocked. Alan St. Maximin follows it up. He puts it away. It was the would-be winner. It was in the 90th minute. St. James's Park goes nuts. But... There was more. Jamal Lascelles' ill-timed challenge in the, uh, uh, gave Southampton a penalty in the dying moments at the other end, and it was dispatched by James Ward-Prowse, who's never going to miss from there. All square at St. James's Park. Jordan, we kind of watched we watched the end of this together um, and kind of and kept, kept track of it. Um, okay, so we didn't let you talk about the Aston Villa result from last weekend. Um, now we've got this one, so we've got double the Newcastle anger coming I'm going to ask you to keep it from five to ten minutes. However, I, and I'll I'll open it up to both of the games. I you need to say something nice first about either Aston Villa or Southampton, and it doesn't have to last very long. But you need just just a quick a quick compliment from your for your opponents, and then you may net you may let the Nick the wow let me try that again, a few uh, at least a compliment from one of those two opponents, and then you may let the negativity fly. Okay, so I have two things to compliment about South. Oh, wow. I okay. Love, <clears throat> I love the partnership between Che Adams and Adam Armstrong. Adam Armstrong, former Newcastle young boy, sold the Blackburn Rovers, now has made his way back into the, the Premier League with Southampton. Um, and also their their loan move for uh, Valentino uh, Leva, uh, Leva, Leva Ramento from Chelsea. Uh, he was fabulous on the, uh, as a right back. Uh, Especially in the offensive third, um, making those you know those 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 good passes, you know, pressuring Matt Ritchie again. Matt Ritchie is not a wing back, um, but I digress. No, you you that's not a digression. That's that's a perfect segue. Yes, um, I do not have hope for Newcastle this season, the way we're currently lined up. Um, we just sent out 
I believe, uh, young Matt Longstaff on loan and alone for the full season. Uh, so there goes some midfield depth, uh, which I don't know if he was going to get much play uh, with Steve Bruce as the manager there, uh, which his contract runs out the summer of uh, 2022. So he might be gone. Um, Almiron uh, is not a center midfielder. He is a wide midfielder. He has the pace and technical ability to attack down the wings, and his strengths are being minimized in this 5-3-2 system. Um, Callum Wilson uh, is having to be subbed off because of fatigue, uh, because of the way we play. We, we were set up to take pressure, which we do not do well, and then as the game wears on, we're expecting both him and St. Maximum uh, Saint, uh, to, you know, provide the spark and offensive firepower for the team. And it's just so fatiguing. I believe there was one point in the match where uh, Callum Wilson was running from, uh, running down the right, the right side of the, uh, of the Southampton's half and um, had a one, had a one B one with a defender. And then, and then you see five other Southampton def- defenders come into the picture there were no Newcastle players coming with them. There were literally six Southampton defenders able to get back on the ball before another Newcastle player came up in support. Um, this team is tactically inept. The manager needs to go. Uh, he's playing multiple players out of position, and he's taken a player in Jamal Lascelles, who through both injury and um uh, coaching is not the player he was when he first inherited the captain, the captain's armband. That was a poor challenge he made against Adam Armstrong, even though it looks like he got the ball, which he clearly didn't in replay. And then you see his, his left leg come out and clip Armstrong's ankle on a second touch. If you're the club captain you should know better than to to make those challenges, and your team should be set up defensively better, so you don't have to make those challenges. We're so far back that we invite so much pressure that anyone who has a bit of ability on the ball, a little bit of a dribble, can get almost get into our box before they're picked up by a defender. It pains me to see these results in the Premier League week in, week out. What hurts me more was the unmentioned result that happened Wednesday afternoon. Newcastle United was playing Burnley in the Carabao Cup. I forgot about that, sorry. Yeah, go on. Um, <laughs> it's just the fact that, yes, on a, on a cup side that had to be rotated, be rotated a couple players in and out, that we just could not give it a go. That is what I truly want as a Newcastle fan is just to give it a go. Um, and this team just does not do it. And that's where I'm going to cut my reign at, right? Well, so, I'll, I mean, I'll follow up on this. So, um, by the way, yeah, very good points about, about Southampton. Um, that Livermento signing is, is looking very, very good uh, uh, for them. And, of course, another good performance by James Ward-Prowse. Um, but, yeah, so... I don't know if anybody's noticed, but these Premier League teams are able to name, I think, 
nine substitutions. You can still only use three, but they're naming nine substitutions. So, so just, I mean, based on what I've got up here right now, um, here were the players that were... The, so Newcastle made a total of two substitutions. They made... Uh, Joel Linton came on in the 69th minute. Um, uh, Ryan Fraser came on in the 84th minute. So beyond that, on the bench, you had Gillespie, who's a goalkeeper, Kieran Clark, who's a defender, Emil Kraft, who's a defender, Jamal... Yeah, Jamal Lewis, who's a defender, Javier Manquillo, who's a defender, uh, Jeff Hendrick from Burnley, who you got on a free last summer, and then the ghost of, of Dwight Gale. What I mean, there's some. I mean, you need some reinforcements there. I, that's a pretty, that's a pretty poor. I mean, you've got, like I said, you've got nine defenders, or you've got nine substitutions, and four of them are defenders, and one's a goalkeeper, and you have the rest to work with. I mean, that's just. That's not good from a Newcastle perspective when that's all you have to call on as reinforcements. As the game is going on, you need that extra, you know, push, and that's who you that's who you can call on. That's not good. I'm sure you've already noticed that as a fan, but I just that that just sort of floored me when I was looking at it just now. And Adam, let me mention too, if you look at those substitutions. Two of those players are right backs, yeah, and Jamal and Lewis, Lewis and, and yes, yeah, who don't get on the pitch, uh, and the uh, and the only in midfielder is really a defensive midfielder. You put him in, the, you you you'd swap him for, um, uh, oh God, Lord Voldemort. You'd <laughs> John Joe Shelby, who was missing yeah, for swap, this match. Yes, you swap him for John Joe Shelby. So we're playing a system. That is uh, that relies on having a number of defenders, but we are so bereft of of, of players that we play put, that we play wingers out of position every single week. Um, <clears throat> we don't have a healthy left back right now because Paul Dummett is out injured and he does decent work as a left back, but again he's more of a center back. Um, Matt Ritchie. Uh, which I've been reading, uh, reading, reading through a lot of Newcastle Twitter, and the sentiment is that he is done. That whatever he had at Bournemouth has pretty much left him, and that either he needs to find a new home in the Championship, or if it's going to be in the Premier League, it's going to be the Scottish Premier League. Um, but I, but again, I digress. He does not need to be a wingback. Move yeah. him forward. Play, play a four-four-two with Saint Maxim as the off striker, and then move Murphy and uh, Richie up up top, and I would be a lot happier. Yeah. Um. Uh. So so just to to wrap up talk of, on on this game. So obviously we've got the the next two days for for transfer deadline day and then of course uh newcastle will face manchester united on september the 11th so something to look forward to um uh let's move on now let's go to the south coast of, of england uh I, where uh, oh, real quick that's fine <laughs> sorry one more one more i will say it is nice to not be on bottom right now 
<laughs> thank you, we Arsenal. Have one point. <laughs> thank you, Arsenal. Thank you, Norwich. Thank you. Um, who is the Wolves? Who's the third the Wolves because they they thank- made three straight yes. losses. Yeah. Yes. Thank you, Wolves. You have kept us out of rele- relegation for the time being. Yes. Uh, we'll talk about Wolves in a minute and Manchester United, but first let's go down to the south coast of England. Brighton nil, Everton two. Brave Brighton finally lose. Uh, despite completely dominating in possession during this game. Damari Gray opens the scoring in the 41st minute with a low shot, very similar to the goal that he scored against Leeds last weekend. Dominic Calvert-Lewin also scored again on the penalty again as Everton get their first away win in the Rafa Benitez era. Um, there was a bit of... So so good win for Everton, but there was a bit of... of I, I don't know if I would call it controversy or confusion or what was going on, but Richarlison had a bit of a moment, let's just say, when the penalty was given. Um, and he, he, I don't know, I mean, describe it, Jordan, as best that you can. We watched this together, but he was pretty insistent that he was going to take this penalty, even though literally all of his teammates were essentially saying, no, this is for Dominic Calvert-Lewin. He's going to take this penalty. It was very strange to see. So the penalty was given... The ball was in the back of the net. I believe he went and got the ball. He was marching back to the penalty spot when Calvert-Lewin came to get the ball out of his hands. And they had an argument, which uh, Richarlison had to be, you know, pulled apart from him by uh, Andros Townsend, who was playing Peacemaker. Um, They're... Uh, then Richarlison went on for like another two to three minutes arguing with his teammates about taking the penalty over Dominic Albert Lewin. Yeah, because there's so much. Obviously, so, there's there's a VAR check though, like on the yeah. penalty, just to make sure that it is a penalty. And of course, it was. But yeah, so during this whole entire time, they're having this like straight up fight on the pitch about who's going to take this penalty. So much so that Dominic Calvert-Lewin had to go get another ball from the, from the touchline <laughs> because Richarlison was not going to give that up. Now, and, um, as I mean, from, from Rafa Benitez's perspective, is this, on the one hand, yes, it looks like it's bad sportsmanship. I mean, if you name a penalty taker, that's who the penalty taker is, period. You don't get to choose. Nothing changes on the pitch. It doesn't matter if you were the one who got fouled. If you have a penalty taker, that's who's taking the penalty, period, every single time. You want to talk about that, you talk about it in training and during the week. You don't talk about it on the pitch right then. You don't get upset at your own teammates, um, which is pretty petulant from, from Charleston, if, if I'm being completely honest. But, However, from Rafa's perspective, is it not also a good thing that Richarlison wants to do this, that he wants this pressure, that he's asking to to you know take on this role? I mean, maybe he didn't have... It's one of those things where it's like the execution was poor, but the intentions were 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 sound and were good. I mean, it's got to be that's that's got to be good, right? You know, it's it, this this kind of reminds me of, and this guy had a lot a lot longer history of agitating his own teammates. Uh, a Terrell Owens situation. Hmm. It, yes, it is important to have players like that because. When they're riding an emotional high and they're feeling it, the entire team can re- really can step up and follow them, um, you know, and pick up the, their overall level of play. But at the same time, 
when when their when their attitude and their uh, behavior turns negative, it could be the, a detriment to team morale. So, um, with the international break coming up, and I believe um, the football uh, the the FA not uh, allow uh, not releasing players from sixty countries uh, because they're red listed for COVID, which includes Brazil. Uh, this would be a prime opportunity for Rafa Benitez to sit down with his team, um, really talk with them, you know, work through uh, the problems on the pitch and, uh, you know, refocus that energy into moving up the table uh, and going forward. Yeah. We'll talk, we'll talk a little more about, um, kind of the international break here in a minute. There's a, there's an extra element of that thanks to COVID, um, which we'll talk about to kind of wrap up the podcast. Um, but real quick, we'll, we got a few more results to get to. Um, uh, th- this one a little bit more at length because I uh, was able to watch most of it this morning. Uh, Wolves nil, Manchester United won. It's another perfectly predicted result by our friend Caleb Slinkard in the top shelf picks, which we will also talk about a little bit later. Um did he and get another two points this weekend? He did. Absolutely. Uh, he got it with this Damn one. Damn it. I know. Um, <laughs> it, was, uh, it was... Because just... I was flying oh, high ahead. on Saturday yeah. uh, when, uh, if, uh, if you've been paying to the top shelf picks and all, you know, I came with the controversial uh, 1-1 draw yeah. in the Chelsea-Liverpool match, which yeah, I still got totally, to... un- totally unexpected the way it played out. Yeah, totally unexpected. I got some. I got some questions about that, and, and any connections you have to the to the Premier League's VAR referees there. I gotta maybe need to check for some. This seems some very very match fixy from your from your point of view there. But well, uh, um, I, Adam, you're not on Newcastle Twitter, but I am. <laughs> and one thing that has been uh, you know put forward time and time again in this early season is the fact that there is a conspiracy by the Premier League, uh, which is being handled through VAR, because we, uh, because Newcastle, uh, Mike Ashley and Newcastle have taken the Premier League to arbitration court, right, over the uh, decision to block the sale of Newcastle United last season to the uh, public investment fund of Saudi Arabia, um, kind of chairperson through Amanda Staveley. Yeah, based on uh, based on the most recent evidence, though, I don't know if that that theory entirely holds up. Um, Wolves nil, Manchester United won. Man, it was Manchester United's turn to stand up to the big bad Wolves. Jaden Sancho, Rafael Varane getting their full debuts in the West Midlands, but they almost had their house blown down. Wolves fifteen shots, six on target. They could not find the odd goal. We'll talk a little bit about uh, them trying to fix that in a minute, but the. The odd goal did come from Mason Greenwood once again in the 80th minute. Uh, Edinson Cavani came on for Dan James in the second half that put Greenwood out wide on the right, and it was a loose ball in the midfield from Pogba's, air quotes, challenge on Ruben Neves. We'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. Um, but So Pogba puts in the challenge. It goes out wide to the youngster on the right. He puts the ball low and hard into the far corner for the winning goal. It's the third straight defeat for Wolves, but they are trying to solve that whole issue with uh, being able to create a whole lot but not score the goals. Uh, they signed Huang Yi Chan, the Korean international from Red Bull Leipzig on loan. Uh, he was de- he was rolled out before uh, this game to the crowd in, in, in Molyneux. 
So the big talk about this afterwards, um, first of all, good win for Manchester United. Um, they looked they looked pretty good. I, they still are having some issues, I think, breaking teams down. And I don't know if the signing of Cristiano Ronaldo is going to help with that necessarily. Um, I think it might. It, it could, but I don't know if that's necessarily the case. Um, but the, the big talk after this is, is going to be the the challenge that Paul Pogba put on Ruben Neves that ended up resulting in the goal. So Wolves were, were obviously very upset. Ruben Neves was was in the face of the referee. However, I just don't see it. I mean, yes, he 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 sticks his foot in. Yes, I understand that his foot the, the studs are kind of showing. However, we've talked before on this show. I I. I the whole stud showing argument is just weird to me because, yeah, studs are going to show because they have them. They're not going to have their cleats on the ground the whole entire time. The, the studs are going to show. It's about what happens afterwards. And if there is contact, and I'm still not entirely convinced that there is, it is so minimal. And it's very clear. You can see in the replay that the, the contact comes in, Neves turns, looks at the referee, and then falls. There's no way that this how how is how is Paul Pogba's tackled the controversy in this when it's clearly that Ruben Neves turns and looks at the referee and falls down that I mean I thought that was a whole thing in the summer about you know oh this that, that was the thing at the Euros right there was a player who who did that and was then I can't remember who it was anyways basically the point being uh, I think this is perfectly fine I think it's a storm in a teacup I do not understand why this is such a big deal. It was a good challenge. It was a 50-50 ball. It it resulted in a goal. So be it. It, it was fine, in my opinion. I, I I mean, was is there something that I'm not seeing in that challenge, Jordan? No. <clears throat> it was a 50-50 challenge. And if the referee had seen it and called it as a foul, then I can understand stopping the play right there and then, uh, you know, Letting Wolves have a free kick, but as soon as the ball as the ball the ball is put in the back of the net by Mason Greenwood, you cannot go back to the spot of a foul and adjudicate from that spot like nothing else happened. So I understand. Um, I understand it's not called. I understand the, the, the that the goal was scored. Uh, sometimes bad luck happens, but the right call was made on the pitch regardless because you cannot. Again, adjudicate a foul after a goal score. Well, you could under VAR, though, because if there's a foul in the buildup that leads to the goal, you could yes. go back to it. However, I don't think there's, there's a foul. I just don't. It's it's not. And we, you and I have talked about this off, off the pod. We can talk about this for a little bit. They, there are some there's, – there's some extra discretion, I guess you could say, from the Premier League that's been given to referees this year to so basically say, listen, stop calling these ticky-tack fouls. Let stuff go. And allow you know allow the play to continue and to flow, because you know football's supposed to be a tough sport. It's supposed to be contact. They're supposed to. It's you know we're not. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to steal some lines from the NFL here, but you know we're not playing flag football, or we're not playing. You know, it, it's 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 this is football. This is what happens. Tackles are put in, and I don't like this. I don't like this controversy. I mean. You know the the comment after that should be Ruben Neves should be a little bit stronger in this challenge, and Graham Souness, who I already didn't like, had the gall afterwards on Sky Sports. 
talking about this, to describe Pogba's challenge as a, quote, leg breaker. They need to get rid of him. It's time to pull the plug on Graham Sunis. I don't understand this. He's got something against Paul Pogba. And I don't want to get too deep into it because I don't want to make accusations about anybody without, you know, hardcore proof or I don't want to lead us into any direction. But I will say this. This season, Micah Richards and Graham Sunis had a bit of an interaction. They're talking about the Harry Kane saga on, on Sky Sport. I can't remember if it was pregame or postgame, but they were talking about the Harry Kane saga. And Micah Richards makes the point to Graham Sunis that Harry Kane gets treated like a saint by us. Even though he's missing training, he's trying to, to engineer a move away from Tottenham. This is before he came out and said that he was going to stay. And he gets treated like a saint. But Paul Pogba sticks with his club, doesn't leave during the summer, continues to work hard, had five assists already. He was going into this game. He had five assists on the season already. That's an unheard of record. He had four in the opening game. And yet he gets hounded on for wanting to leave and not putting up the effort and not doing all this stuff. And Sunes kind of shut him down pretty quickly because it was very clear what he was insinuating, which is what's the difference between Harry Kane and Paul Pogba? I don't want to talk about it at length because, again, like I said, I don't want to make accusations. But it's just becoming a little hard to defend Graham Sunes on some of this stuff, personally. And I'm glad that Micah Richards finally stood up and called him on it. And I really think Sky Sports needs to take a good hard look at why they have Graham Sunes on that panel, personally. Um, to the, the to the idea that that tackle was a leg break, uh, the Granite Xhaka tackle in the 35th minute of the Manchester City Arsenal match was more of a leg breaker than the Paul Pogba uh, challenge. Uh, you know, d- jumping in with both feet out, that's why he got the red uh, in that match. And... I mean, we can be honest, Adam, too, you know, uh, I, I, and this is the only thing I'm going to say on this, too, is the uh, the personal attacks on a player engineering, engineering a move out, move away from the club also go back to Raheem Sterling. Yeah. When he was with Liverpool and uh, engineered his move to Manchester City, um, there was, you know, very, you know, Low, low-hanging fruit attacks in, in English newspapers about him. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, it, there's it's, and and it might be a wider thing, and I I don't know. And like I said, I I don't want to, I don't want to accuse somebody just straight up without having some kind of some something something definite because again, that's you know what we're talking about. They're they're sort of going, but it's just, it's just getting harder and harder to stay away from <clears throat> from that and. Uh, I already do, I already don't like Graham Sunis, but I mean, and I know he's a former Newcastle manager, and they did they did decent under him. But I, I just it floors me, and and it's 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 become its own sort of meme at this point that Graham Sunis will always find some sort of way to to criticize Paul Pogba somehow, some way, and here he is again, and you just start to have to wonder to yourself why. You know, and I, I think Sky Sports needs to start asking that question of why he keeps finding him, his way into these situations, just just personally. So, anyways, we'll just end it at that. Uh, yeah. Good roles, good result for United. Um, um, and uh, and yeah, go ahead. You, any any more about about, about that one? 
Oh yeah, uh, so I was going to mention uh, the player that uh, Wolves got a loan from Barcelona this season with a 35 million pound uh, buy, uh, you know, buying option at the end of the season. Um, Trina Sal on that on that yeah. on that right wing was wonderful, uh, especially yeah. his link up with Semedo over there. Uh, he's only 21 years old. He could, you know, he could definitely, you know, if he keeps improving, move to a bigger club easily within a year or two. Uh, he has the talent, uh, and he, uh, and if I remember correctly, he almost scored four wolves down that, like in that, on that near the back touch line on that right side. He was extremely close to scoring. Wolves had a lot of a lot of chances, and you're right. He that's that's a good a good shout. He did look good. He had a good game today. Um, and uh, that the the loan signing Wang Yi Chan, um, who's who's coming in, he is. I think they also have a loan or an option to buy. I think it's about twelve million pounds. So, um, but yeah, I mean, you talk about some good pickups uh, for them. Uh, Trin Chow looked looking really good, and hopefully, as I mentioned last week, Chan can uh, can come in and. Um, at least take the pressure off of Raul Jimenez, who I I do think has a lot right now coming back from injury and just trying to automatically become the guy again for Wolves, and I just don't think it's going to be that automatic. So um, third straight loss for Wolves, maybe it's a little bit concerning. I think I think they were all one nils though, and so I, I think there's something there. You know, I don't want to get. Uh, I don't think <clears throat> don't want to get too too much on to to, to Lodge. I think he's coming into a good uh, a too difficult situation after after Nuno left. So um, I, I would imagine some better things coming for Wolverhampton in the next few weeks, um, especially after the international break ends. Um, some here's uh, just real quick in the the also Rands category. Just some results that happened that we weren't able to quite get into as much. Uh, Aston Villa won. Brentford won. Good result for Brentford on the road. Uh, I think Villa would have wanted to win this one, but they'll take the point. A really good goal by Buendia, uh, finally getting off the mark uh, for Villa in that one. Just a great, great strike from outside the box. Uh, another result: Norwich one, <clears throat> Leicester City two. Uh, good result, a good win for Leicester. They've got two wins now this season. Um, Jamie Vardy keeping that party going. Or I guess picking it back up. He didn't have he didn't have much of a party at East London uh, when they played on Monday. It has to be said, but uh, but Vardy scoring the opening goal for Leicester City. It was a good good effort by Norwich. Um, they got a, a penalty from Timu Puki, but then Mark Brighton pulling that one from out of nowhere, uh, scoring in the 76th minute to give Leicester their second win of the season and a nice response to that 4-1 loss to West Ham, which I will mention any time that I can. Um, uh, any notes about Leicester or Norwich, Jordan, or any of these? Um, the the one note from Leicester, the Leicester match I have, was the tackle by uh, by so- uh, Soyuncu uh, that, was for, that led to the penalty. Uh, as a veteran center back, uh, you you know you cannot go to ground when there was no chance of you even getting near the ball. Um, don't you agree, Adam? Because I mean that was just a yeah. clear bad tackle. Yeah, it was a clear penalty, and uh, he should 
have the experience now. Um, and I, a lot of pressure is going to be put on him this season without um, with with Wesley Fofana now out. I mean, he's going to be kind of the guy back there, uh, and he can't be putting in challenges like that. But uh, Lester pull it out, uh, thanks to Mark Brighton. Uh, Sunday morning, we had Burn- Burnley 1, Leeds 1. Um, Leeds coming back to, to get this draw. This was kind of a weird... I, I watched a little bit of this. It was kind of a weird result. Um, the Burnley goal came off of... It was just this, this kind of weird sort of shot uh, by Chris Wood. Or actually, well, I, I think Matt... So Matthew Loughton gets, gets his boot on it and shoots it, and it's a low kind of worm-burning shot. It actually takes... A, a little bit of a deflection and Wood just sort of taps it with his toe right in front of Messier to sit it uh, past him. Um, it was just, it was a really bizarre kind of goal. Burnley actually did look good. They had a couple of good opportunities. Um, also Aaron Lennon, uh, who was picked up in the middle of the week by Burnley. Um, he, he came on as a substitute in the second half. Um, but in very similar circumstances, Patrick Bamford uh, equalizes. Uh, it was a cross from Rafinha. Uh, gets blocked by Ben Mee, but he only goes as far as Shackleton, the Leeds player, uh, who I think was another second-half substitute. But anyways, uh, he sends a low ball into the six-yard box. It was going wide, and Bamford sticks his leg out and turns it in from close range. So all even at Turf Moor. And then uh, we talked about them a lot, so I, I put them here in the also-rans, but Tottenham won Watford nil. Uh, Harry Kane did start, but Youngman's son is the one who got the goal at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium to give them another win. Three wins from three for Tottenham Hotspur. All 1-0 wins. It's kind of weird, actually, when you think about it. Nuno leaves Wolves, uh, and they suffer three straight 1-0 defeats. And Tottenham, he goes to Tottenham, who suffer, who go three straight 1-0 wins. Hmm. Very interesting. Uh, Tottenham, top of the table. Yes. Uh can they one nil themselves to the title? <laughs> I feel like it's going to have to change at some point. Something's got to give. But uh, another good, another good result for Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, so, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Sorry. Would that would that be the worst season of all time for an Arsenal fan? Is <laughs> uh, if they get if they get relegated in the same season that Tottenham wins the league. And the way they're playing, it would have to be like an invincible style run, you know, of just not not dropping, you know, three points at all. So, I mean, at this rate, so I think that the North London Derby is going to be in a few. It's going to be. In, it's. I think it's a couple weeks into September, um, and you're going to have Tottenham fans who, at this rate, are going to be nice and happy and giddy. Harry Kane staying. We're you know we're we're top of the league or we're near the top of the league and we're doing great and I don't know who they have to play next but and you're gonna have Arsenal fans who are just miserable and watching these smiling Spurs fans come into their stadium that could get pretty heated. <laughs> we could see we could um, get a couple Arsenal fans looking to slap the smile off of some Spurs fans if you know what I mean. So the weekend before Sunday the nineteenth, okay, it is Tottenham versus Chelsea. It is so they Ooh. have two dark. Two London derbies back to back, and they're both the ten thirty a.m. kickoff on Sunday morning. Nice. Well, that's going to be fun. So, so some international breaks sadly coming up, um, but uh, some good, some good football coming after that. It sounds like so. So, but that was game week three in the Premier League. Uh, like I said, this is the last action before 
we get uh, our first break of the season, all the teams going away to their international, uh, all of the players going away to their international teams. However, there's a little bit of a controversy from that. So there are Premier League teams who are refusing to allow their players to leave and go to their national teams because they are on the red list for coronavirus. Um, at least the big two that we know of, uh, Brazil and Egypt, who are on the red list. And I mean, if you can, if, if I mean, think about this from a holistic perspective, you know, these national teams are already dealing with the fact that some of their players might have COVID and have to isolate you know, if you catch it while you're, you know, if they test them and they and they're positive, then they can't be used for you know any of these two or three World Cup qualifiers that are coming up. Some of these are pretty crucial. So, uh, so the Egyptian Football Association uh, basically come out and said Liverpool wouldn't not release Mo Salah for the World Cup qualifiers uh, that they have coming up due to quarantine rules. Um, and Brazil is also on this list. So just for Liverpool alone, I mean, you think that's Fabinho, Firmino, Becker, uh, who wouldn't be able to play for for Brazil had they if if they should be be called up. This also would uh, would apply to Rafinha from Leeds, who's had a very very good start of the season. Fred from Manchester United, he's had an okay start of the season. Richarlison, uh, Thiago Silva for Chelsea. Um, you know, Argentina. Also on this list, so Christian Romero, the the, the defender for for Tottenham Hotspur, Giovanni Lo Celso, also for for uh, for Tottenham, Emmy um, Martinez and Emiliano Buendia for for Aston Villa. Should they have been called up? Miguel Amaron, your guy from Newcastle, couldn't go to play for Paraguay because they are on the red list. So, um, you know, they've all kind of come together and basically said they're not going to let these players leave. And I don't know. It's just it's kind of an interesting, an interesting note. It's sad that we're still having to deal with this. Um, but I don't know. I mean, what you know? What do you make of this situation, Jordan? You know, is this is this overreach by the Premier League teams, or are they kind of within their rights here? Because I mean, under the rules of the UK, if they were allowed to leave and go to these countries, they would have to quarantine and self isolate when they came back. I mean, those that's just the way that the UK is kind of doing right doing it right now. I can under I, I don't know if they're right, but I can understand their reasoning uh, because the Premier League took a huge hit last year in terms of in stadium revenue, uh, and they had to rely solely almost uh, solely on TV revenue. And going into this year, especially with everything opening back up in England. They really want the money, and so you're protecting your you're protecting your brand, you're protecting your uh, you're protecting your teams. Yeah, that's going to ruffle some ruffle some feathers in the international football community. Uh, my question is, what's going to be the course of action for um, the football associations of uh, Brazil and Egypt and other places that are red listed? Yeah. yeah. And if you, that's a good point, I mean, because if you think from the perspective of these international teams, or at least some of them, you know, Brazil, that's one thing. I mean, they, they've got there's a lot of Brazilian players who are very good, and I think they do have a, a pretty big selection uh, to choose from. But I mean, you know, you talk about Firmino, Fabinho, Becker, Allison. I mean, th- those are big absences for them. But Egypt, I mean, no, 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 Mosala 
could be the difference for Egypt between going to the World Cup and not going to the World Cup. I mean, that's that's how big of a difference he can make for them. And so that one I would suspect is 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 devastating because that's a nation who I think was very, very happy that they went to the 2018 World Cup and is very much looking forward to going to Qatar. I mean, it's so much closer to Egypt. I mean, it's right there. Um, you know, it, it would be uh, great for their fans to be able to go and watch their nation in a nation that is kind of in the same region. And now you're you're facing the prospect of having to play without your best player. So um, very unique, interesting situation there. I'm sure that will continue to roll on. Um, another note that I want to say about that is this comes up every once in a while, this sort of club versus country sort of thing. You know, players not wanting to release or clubs not not wanting to release their players to go play for the national teams and, and who's got the right to say when they play and what they do and what about injuries and things like that. And I really just hope this doesn't turn out to a project to a long protracted argument about that again. I think this is a very unique situation. My hope, and this is optimism, Adam, but my hope is that the pandemic is starting to come to an end and we're starting to get to a point where we're over it and this shouldn't come up again. But my 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 fear is that this turns into a wider conversation about international team duty and what a player's duty is and what a club's duty is and who's got to say when and where. So hopefully um, it doesn't turn into something like that. Um, uh, news outside of the Premier League the today, Messi making his debut for PSG against Reim. Reim? Reim? I don't know. I don't know how to say that. Basically against the smaller league unsigned. Um, he didn't do a whole lot. Uh, he came on the second half sub. Kylian Mbappe scored twice um, for PSG to to give them the win there. So Mbappe looking good. Looks like he's happy there. But anyway, so that's Messi, officially a PSG player. It has happened. You are not dreaming. Um, this is not FIFA. Uh, this is real life. And Messi actually is playing for PSG. We all came to that realization today. I know. Um, uh, well, okay. So I, 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 uh, on that note with Messi, um, with, uh, I, I believe I saw, I believe I showed you this tweet actually that, um, when Messi won the Copa America over the summer, he braced, he, he broke the simulation, uh, because, you know, <laughs> he left Barcelona and then what is he scuttlebutt going into Thursday, Friday and over the weekend that, the most abbed one has returned to Manchester. All right. Yes, people, you've heard it. That 37-year-old Cristiano Ronaldo has left Juventus. Was originally, uh, you know, kind of rumored that he was going to go to City. That got scuttled quickly and is in a in talks with Manchester United on a two-year deal. Yeah, now, it far is be the it. curse of it's the okay. curse of Adam. Right. Again. Right. Now, far be it from me to take any credit away from Messi because but I mean, I think he gets enough of it as it is. I mean, did he did Messi break the multiverse or did did Messi break break it and, and create a new multiverse or did I do that? Because it could be the, it could be the curse of Adam that that's doing this and creating this these issues, but yes, I I <laughs> you're, so you're saying that your temporal event was when you was when you first <laughs> your Manchester United fandom, yes. and by le- by by choosing a new club and uh, you know becoming a hammer, 
that you created the multiverse and destroyed the sacred time. Who knows, Adam? It's entirely possible. Um, does uh, does that mean? I mean, that... look, look, listen. England went to an international tournament this summer and they were good. I'm just saying. Very true. Very true. Does that also mean that uh, the TVA, the Time Var- uh, Variant Authority, is going to come pick you up because you obviously have um, harmed the sacred timeline? Right. Well, they are. I mean, there is this uh, this sort of weird looking van which I'm pretty across the street, which I'm pretty sure disappears into a time warp every night, but I can't really prove it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, <clears throat> right. now, I'll, just real quick here. I mean, I'll just say when that announcement was made on on Friday, yeah, I was kind of pissed off. Because I don't know how many summers I've spent where that's been a rumor, and you just knew. Eventually, you just knew that the hierarchy of Manchester United wasn't going to do it. There wasn't, you know, there wasn't anything to it. It was just more paper talk and just hanging on to the hope that maybe these players will be it. Maybe this crop of new guys is going to be the ones who make a difference. You know. It's you know it was Fellaini and it was oh it's it's David Moyes' team now, and we saw how that worked out and it was Schneiderlin and Di Maria and and you know it's oh it's 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 uh you know and Blind and it's Van Hall's team now and 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 now we're there and then it was oh it's Jose's team now we got Pogba back, and and that failed to materialize and and now there's Ola and and it's by the way we didn't mention this earlier but Ola uh, became today I don't know if it was today but it's certainly in the past few weeks. The first Manchester United manager to register 100 Premier League games since Sir Alex Ferguson left, which is kind uh, of, which is kind of, I mean, wow, <laughs> it sort of tells yeah, it all, you, doesn't it? Yeah, you uh, you have Ole behind the wheel, yeah, and it, it seems like the Manchester United board has finally listened. Uh, either that, either they discovered all of the um, you know forum rumors from over a decade ago. Right, um, but they finally brought Ronaldo back, and they finally uh, signed uh, Varane from Real Madrid after a decade of teasing. Now all they need to do is uh, get Morgan or uh, not Morgan Snyder. Oh my God! Now all they need to do is get Wesley Snyder, and it would be. I mean, that's that's like the the holy grail of of Manchester United transfer rumors that have never materialized. Every single year, Wesley Snyder never happened. So yeah, so I mean, I was upset about that, but you know what? That's not why I left. That's not why I decided to leave. I think the ownership is crap. I think it's going to lead the club into ruin at some point, and they couldn't. They could ruin the entire game of football. So that's why I left. I am still a hammer. I'm not going back. Um, uh, however, I do think the curse of Adam is, impa- is impacting some other things. So let's top shelf picks, right? So I didn't have a great week last week. All right, I only got one of the results correct. Um, got none of the score lines correct, and so I was, you know, I was thinking, all right, that's okay. First week jitters, that's that's all right. We'll we'll, co- we'll come back around to it. Well, thanks to Jamal Lascelles, who's going to catch my wrath this week. I did not get the Newcastle Southampton result right. I would have had he not fouled, uh, had he not got that foul in the box. So thanks for that. You can tell tell him I said thanks. In the that. 90s, uh, yeah, I'll make sure to I'll make sure to slip him a tenner, okay? Because yeah. that was yeah. clear, that was clearly <laughs> my uh, my directive as new manager of Newcastle. <laughs> it was so, in the ninety third minute. Ninety third minute. It was in the last the dying seconds of added time at the end of the game that that penalty was given. Right. And so you you're sitting there looking at 
two points, almost a certainty after the, the St. Maxim goal. And then that just like crumbles like dust in your hand. And then Wood, we go to Woodman, the Chelsea Woodman, Liverpool match. Well, so let's, okay, so let's, so let me, so, so Newcastle Southampton fin- obviously finished 2 2. So, Jordan, you predicted that was a 1 0 loss to Newcastle. That, that was yes. not right. You didn't get any points. I predicted a 2 1 win to Newcastle, which was almost true, but wasn't. That was no points. Caleb did predict uh, a, a, a draw, and so he got the one point from that one. So that, that was a point that he didn't need. He was already top of the table. Uh, Liverpool-Chelsea ended 1-1, and that red card, again, just screwed me. Because... <laughs> because you predicted you, you, a 1-0 yes. Chelsea win. No, I got a 2-1, a 2-1 win for, for Chelsea, and yes. they couldn't get it. But you predicted a draw. A one-one draw. Yes, I I'm did. calling shenanigans. You can't so, call shenanigans. So two points to Jordan. His first two points of the season. Good job, well done, Jordan. Thank Fantastic. You. Yep. Uh, I did not get any points from that. Caleb also predicted a three-two Chelsea win, which would have been great. Uh, we talk about a good match. Um, that did not pan out. And then finally, West Ham or uh, Wolves against Manchester United. Uh, I predicted a three-one win to Manchester United. Obviously, that did not materialize. I got one point. Jordan, you predicted 2-1 to Manchester United. You were closer, um, but that did not materialize. It was one point. Caleb, I don't know how he does it. 1-0, Manchester United. He got it absolutely correct, so he got the full two points there. So the table looks like this. Caleb's got five points, um, and he is 3-for-3 on his picks. Jordan, you got four points. You were also 3-for-3 on your picks. I've got two points. I haven't predicted the correct scoreline one, and I've only got one result right each of the weeks. Uh, I may need this international break hey. more than more than anybody else. Yeah, it, it, it clearly seems like the table is setting up between me and Caleb going to be fighting <laughs> out at the top Relegation for the uh, uh, for the top for the uh, the top of the top uh, of the top shelf picks, and you're just going to be relegation fodder. You know what? It's a long it's a long season, and I'm I've, I'm just I got to get into my groove. I'm going to go away this international break. I'm going to recenter myself and refocus change up my tactics maybe a little bit, and come back stronger. Um, so that's your top-shelf picks. Obviously, we don't have any top-shelf picks for this week because it's an international break, as we said. Um, but there is deadline day, so that is going to be on Tuesday. And um, I don't know if this pod will be out by then, but if it is, just as a note, Peacock is going to be airing Sky Sports News, I think from like 6 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Eastern Time. So Sky Sports deadline day coverage. It's a lot of fun. Um, sometimes it's a bit over the top. In fact, it's a lot of times over the top, but it is fun to watch. So if you can find some time to watch that, uh, I would definitely do that. But they are going to have a deadline day wrap-up. Um, it'd be CSN is, um, I think, 5 o'clock Eastern is when that one's going to be. And then it's, like I said, no no football. We're going to be focusing on uh, some lower league stuff. Might come back next week with uh, a Know Your Grounds for the first time this season. I'm not sure that's going to work with three people. Very but, true. Yeah, we'll, um, we'll find a way. I'll I'll figure it out. It's not. It's non-league weekend. Um, it is officially. I w- I was gonna I was gonna say it's time for some illegal Chinese streams. Um, <laughs> ESPN Plus is going to be airing some games. Let's just awesome. Okay. Yeah. All right, yes, you don't have That's to. Good. Awesome. <laughs> no um, need for that. So ESPN Plus does usually show a game from League One or League Two during this week. Sometimes. Um, so you might look out for that, but if not, there's some international football on, 
um, which you can enjoy. We'll talk a little, little bit about that at the next episode um, and then take a look back on the season so far and talk about some surprises, some uh, some some predictions that maybe we were thinking we got right and some we possibly got wrong and uh, just tweaking what we are tweaking our thoughts on this Premier League uh, coming up next weekend. So until then, enjoy so, the week as much as you can without football. Yes, Jordan? Real quick, I remember yeah. where I was going to go with this. Uh, you mentioned transfer deadline day. Uh, you know, the standard joke that I have is that Harry Redknapp is going to, you know, be in a car park somewhere, uh, you know, waiting to hear on, uh, you know, a deadline transfer going through. But if I remember correctly, wasn't there an incident that happened not too long ago? I would say within the past decade that a uh, a, a young man was on was was able to get into the live spot on a transfer deadline day. Um, you know, you throw it out to the guy, you throw it out to yeah. the man on the street, yeah, and he was in a live spot, and he happened to be holding a. Um, a Mar- female marital pleasure ape. device. A, mar- a female yeah. pleasure device. Yes. Yep. yep. Yeah. That's... Did he not hold? Did he not hold it at the reporter's face? I, it, there may have been some some optical illusion with the camera going on there, but it was very yes. It did look quite close to the reporter's uh, face. I can't remember. I think it may have been Jim White. Like it was uh, a boom mic. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, so that's that's what you can look forward to if you if you uh, tune into Sky Sports Deadline Day. We didn't get a whole lot of that last year or any of that, I think, because of the whole COVID thing. <clears throat> Fans should be out, um, and it's just it's going to be interesting. Hopefully, a few signings for West Ham. Hopefully, hopefully, a few signings for Newcastle. Hope, uh, hopefully, but doubtful at this point. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, Adam- you know what? Almost. I'm sorry. You, Caleb would kill me if we didn't do this. Just a quick update on the championship. Fulham are top of the table. Uh, they are looking nice and pretty after a 3-0 win, a very big 3-0 win against Stoke. Um, so, so yeah, just a real quick top of the championship. Fulham are on 13 points. West Brom, they got another win there on 13 points. QPR, Huddersfield, Stoke, and Bournemouth. Um, rounding out the, the top six there. Uh, Coventry, pretty close. Birmingham also... Up in that fight. This is obviously early days. Blackpool, Sheffield United, and Nottingham Forest all in the relegation zone. Not looking good for the Blades. Um, but so, yeah. So that's, that's a quick quick championship update. We, we can provide more when Caleb returns next week. All right, Adam. And on that note, let's go eat some pies. Let's go eat some pies. Let's, uh, let's, let's regroup. Enjoy your week as best you can without football. I know it's going to be terrible, but we will be there next week to hopefully bridge that gap. Take care, everybody.